All right, so I'm going to deal with a sermon that has to do with strengthen yourself in the Lord. And I believe this is really going to help you. But before I do that, let me just recap real quickly from last week. So last week I talked about heaven's culture. A lot of times people, I can't go deep into this. So, you know, obviously if people heard last week, they'll understand where I'm coming from. But a lot of times people, what they've known is not necessarily heaven's culture. And they come into an atmosphere of heaven. They come into a realm of God's presence where God is moving by a spirit in a church. People are being healed. People are being delivered of things, literally, where you may see demons leave people. Um, you see the power of God demonstrated. And they're just not used to that. That's a, that's a heaven culture. They're not used to the sounds of heaven. They're not used to people weeping or laughing or whatever they're just not used to that because that's not the culture they came from and it's a culture shock and also just like other cultures around the world you know they'll have their holy days and their celebrations and their special days some of them are fine others are pagan and are evil but heaven has a culture you know, the Hebrew calendar, the Hebrew roots, the feast days, things like that. I talked a little bit about that, but this is the culture of heaven. And when Jesus comes, all of this is going to be going on. There's no doubt about it. The Bible even specifically says that in multiple places. So, it's, you know, just to keep that in mind, as people come, that it's such a culture shock sometimes to come into um, an atmosphere of heaven and a revival atmosphere and a culture that they've never known before and so you guys have been acclimated to that over time but not everybody is and whenever this happens I posted this week on Facebook about Acts chapter 2 and you see the different responses to the Holy Spirit and some were confused some some doubted you know some mocked and uh, there was more examples like that but then there was also those that recognized it was the Lord moving and it's the same thing. There's always going to be, anytime God's moving, there's always going to be people that, that will maybe feel like it's not God and will you know, be critical. Others will doubt. Some will be confused. Some will mock and speak against the things of God. And others will get in the river. Okay. So anyway, just keep that in mind. All right, so tonight, though, I'm going to deal with something that I feel like is important because everybody in your Christian walk is going to go through a time at some point, maybe multiple times, where you're going to have to know how to strengthen yourself in the Lord. You're going to have to know how to draw into a place with Christ to where you can walk in victory, even though things around you seem to be very negative. And as I go through this, I, I believe you'll see where I'm coming from. But sometimes there's, this may be rare, but there are times when you almost feel, this may only happen a couple times in somebody's life, but they really feel like they're alone and they're battling something that nobody else really understands. This is for those people during that time. And so let me just read this passage and then we'll jump into it, okay? But we all need this. Man, keep hold of these notes. Maybe keep them in your Bible. And you may want to get a copy of the sermon. 
and just hang on to it because there's going to come a day when you're probably going to want to go back and listen to this again, okay? All right, so I'm going to read 1 Samuel chapter 30. It says, starting with verse 1, Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. Now understand, this is the time frame where David was fleeing from Saul. He was being pursued, and different people had rallied to him. And these were, these were people that had rallied around him that maybe were discontented. They were maybe vagabonds. They didn't fit in where they were, and they were just looking for somebody to follow, you know. And different people began to gather around David, and when they did, the, the anointing on David's life began to rub off on them. Because these people who were nobodies and who were just simply discontented in life and began to follow David, they became David's mighty men. And these mighty men did some great exploits before the Lord. So keep this in mind. This is the time, though, when David's fleeing. He's got those type of people around him. All right, so they came to Ziklag on the third day. The Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev, which is the southern part of Israel, and on Ziklag, and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the men and all who were there, both small and great, without, kill, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until there was no more strength to weep. This is a really dark time. A lot of times in the Bible, we read over things too quickly. These are grown men, they're hardened warriors, and they're, they're really broken and weeping because they've lost everything. Some people have been there. I've been there where I've lost everything twice. Most people haven't, but this was the situation that they were in at this time. Verse 5, David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam and the Jezreelitess and also Abigail, the widow of Nabal. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, you know, when things go south, people are looking for somebody to blame. They start attacking David. They start blaming him for their problems. David is not in Amalekite. David did not do this. He's not the problem. But you know, they got to have somebody to blame. And so at this point in time, David probably felt very alone. His wives were gone. His best friends around him now are very angry with him to the point of talking to stoning him. And probably some of them were more angry than others and there was probably a lot of strife around him. But David, listen to this. You may underline this, and I want you to really pay attention to this. David, at this time when he felt so alone, this was a very dark time for him. The Bible says he strengthened himself in the Lord. There's going to come times wherever we don't feel like other people understand. You feel like you're going through something alone. Maybe you've had loss, and you've really been through something serious. I mean, it's significant. And you really feel isolated and in a broken place. And we're going to have to do like David did. We're going to have to learn to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. So verse 7, David said to Abiathar the priest. Now David didn't get caught up with these other people that were fighting amongst themselves and talking about stoning him. 
He didn't get into all that. He didn't try to defend himself. David went alone with God, and he knew not to be talking with these other people. Who did he talk to? The only person he talked to was Abiathar the priest. He went to somebody who's a man of prayer. And he told Abiathar the priest, son of Ahimelech, bring me an ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this man? Now picture David goes into prayer. So instead of David trying to fix things himself, instead of David trying to defend himself, instead of David trying to fight with all these people, David got put on the ephod, which was just an outer prayer garments. He went to a place where he could be alone with the Lord. And he sought the voice of the Lord. And he asked the Lord, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord said to David, pursue, for you will surely overtake them and you will surely rescue all. So David went, he and 600 men who were with him, they came to the brook of Besor, where those left behind remained. So there was 200 that were too weak. But David pursued now 400 men with him. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the brook. Verse 11, now they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and he gave, and David gave him some bread. He ate, provided him some water to drink. They gave him you know, fig cake and clusters of raisins he ate. And his spirit was revived for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. I mean, he's out in the desert. This guy probably was near death. And David said to this Egyptian, to whom do you belong? And where, where are you from? And he said to David, I'm a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid on the Negev of the Herathites and on that which belongs to Judah and the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. I would imagine when he said that, David perked up. You were with the guys that were in Ziklag. And so David said to him, will you bring me down to this band of men? And he said, well, you got to swear to me by your God, okay, that you're not going to kill me and you're, you're not going to deliver me over to them because no doubt they would kill him. And obviously David agreed. Verse 16, when he brought, when the Egyptian brought David and them down, behold, the Amalekites were spread all over the land eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. But verse 17, David heard from God, pursue them. Verse 17, David slaughtered them from the twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all. Everybody say recovered all. All the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoiler, or anything that had been taken captive. David brought it back. So David had captured all the sheep and the cattle, which the people drove ahead of the other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. So not only did David get back everything that was lost, but also... The Amalekites had raided the Philistines. 
So David came back with even greater wealth than what he went in with. You understand? There was a greater spoil. And so I'm going to give you 12 things that the Lord has taught me down through the years. I think every pastor can share along these lines because we've been through things and we've seen others go through things. And, but I'm going to give you 12 things that you need to know when you go through difficulties. And I believe this will really help you. All right, so number one is this, and it's got two things in it. Number one is thanksgiving and a renewed mind. See, here in America, a lot of people take a lot of things for granted. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in everything. There's something important here about being a truly thankful person. You're thankful that you have a home. You know, some, some people have in this room have been homeless. There's some people that have been without, have lost everything. You know, being really thankful for what we have. We have jobs. You know, we have food to eat. Those that are here tonight, we've eaten today. We have clothes on. You know, we, we have, amen, thank God, right? We have, we have um, you know, our needs are met. And we have so much to be thankful for. But in America, many times, I think people tend to take so much for granted. And a lot of times, instead of being really thankful and keeping a thankful attitude before the Lord, people start meditating in their mind on the negative, And that really begins to take root in them. And then pretty soon, they're more complaining. They're more negative. And if you're not careful that can get this is important what i'm telling you that can take somebody to a place where there's um depression discouragement isolation from others even suicidal thoughts because they're not being thankful before the lord their mind is entertaining all the negative instead of entertaining all the positive and so a thanksgiving, but also leads into a renewed mind. A renewed mind is so important. The Bible says, Romans 12, 2, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So transformed is from a Greek word that I've taught on this so much. You guys are familiar. It's a Greek word, metamorpho, but it's where you get the word metamorphosis from. So you have a caterpillar. If you look at a caterpillar, that thing's ugly right and it's crawling along the ground it's stuck to the contour of the ground and it's crawling and it if it runs into something it's got to climb over it it's got to exert a lot of energy to get over whatever it is in front of it it's a caterpillar but once it goes into a cocoon and goes through that metamorphosis that transformation it comes out of the cocoon now a butterfly and now it's soaring up above there's nothing on the ground that's going to be able to be obstacles. Now it's going above that. It's at a new place. It's living, it's living in a totally different dimension than where that ugly little caterpillar could have ever. Now it's a beautiful butterfly. 
and it's living a completely different life. The point here is, number one, we've got to discipline ourselves daily to really be thankful to the Lord for what we have and to thank Him for it. Every day when I pray, I try to spend some time really thanking the Lord for everything that He's blessed me with. And as I thank Him, I also, by doing that, you're renewing your mind. Your mind is now thinking upon positive things, uplifting things. You're thinking about the goodness of God. And that, tra that causes a transformation in your life. A renewed mind is a disciplined mind. That you're not going to sit and entertain thoughts in your mind that you shouldn't be dwelling on. Whether it's violent, whether it's bitter. Many people keep entertaining bitter thoughts. Or it's something that's, uh, uh, you know, uh, fearful. So many people live in fear. Or maybe it's lustful. Or whatever it is, you're not going to sit and entertain those things. When those thoughts try to come, you throw those out like a piece of garbage and you think upon the goodness of the Lord, you think upon the things of God. People that learn to really discipline their mind in this way, to be thankful and to renew your mind, will begin to live a transformed, victorious life in a major way. This number one right here is a life-changing thing. When David got in that situation where even his friends around him, some of his best friends, he didn't have his wives to comfort him at all. Friends that now want to stone him, they're probably fighting amongst themselves. You know as well as I do, think about this with David. David had already learned this. Whenever he was a little shepherd boy out in the fields, he defeated the lion and the bear remember that he was out there by himself now you and I we've never took on a lion before and we've never took on a bear but I would be bragging about it too if I had beat up a lion or a bear and sent him running and David God gave David those victories because whenever he stood before King Saul one day there was going to be a Goliath in the field and this Goliath was out there, and all of Israel seemed to be cowered down before him. And David was saying, who's this uncircumcised Philistine to defy God and be mocking our God and all that? But David remembered the lion and the bear. And in his mind, he's thinking, I was out there by myself, and God gave me victory over the lion and the bear. This giant will be no different. I will cut his head off. He's going to fall before me today. It was something where he had that renewed mind. He was, he was remembering, and I'll probably come back to that in a moment, but I just want you to see this is huge. Many people struggle with depression and other things because they have an undisciplined mind. They're focusing on the wrong things. Number two, and this kind of dovetails off number one, praise man every day in our prayer time we should be taking a moment to really just praise the lord enter his gates with thanksgiving his courts with praise every day because the bible says in isaiah 61 3 the garment or the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness heaviness can be translated in the hebrew infirmity 
And so this is a spirit of heaviness is a, a literal spirit that tries to move in on people that have a mind that's not renewed and they're dwelling on negative and they're complaining with their mouth. The spirit of heaviness comes in and it brings about a real oppressive environment. Difficult to pray, difficult to worship. It's just heavy. It's oppressed. And in that environment, there seems to be infirmity connected to it. But the Lord said to enter his gates with thanksgiving and to enter his courts with praise. And when you begin to praise the Lord and really get free and begin to just thank him and praise him for how glorious and awesome and mighty and powerful he is, it breaks off that heaviness and there's a garment of praise that will replace and get rid of heaviness. And the Bible says in Nehemiah 8.10, he said to them, Nehemiah said, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing. For the day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy. Praise. As you begin to praise God. So let's look at this for a moment. You're thanking God. So your mind is being filled with all the goodness of the Lord. You're thanking him. Your mind is being renewed on how big and awesome he is. How he's been with you. How he's provided for you. And so your mind is being filled with the goodness of the Lord. Now you go from entering his gates with thanksgiving into his courts with praise. You begin to praise him and worship him. And what happens? Your emotions begin to get filled with joy. And so this is a way that you're strengthening yourself in the Lord. Because God has not made us any promises about life being some kind of bed of roses as a matter of fact jesus said that in this world you will have tribulation but don't worry about it. i've overcome the world but god's wanting us to learn how to strengthen ourselves and i think about times that i myself have had to you know just pull myself up and just begin to thank him and praise him you know and you may not feel like it but as you do begin to thank him and really praise him all of a sudden, the more you do it, the more you start feeling it, you know. You really get filled with joy. And I remember there was a, a lady named Ruth Ward Heflin that wrote a book called Glory about praise and worship, and she's just an amazing woman. I had an opportunity to, to be in a, a meeting with her before she passed, and uh, she's a wonderful woman of God. But anyway, she told a couple stories about praise, and she talked about how her mother sometimes they go through really difficult times and she would remember her mom would walk through the house just kind of dancing with her feet lifting up her hands and praising God and thanking him for the victory and just kept praising him and worshiping him and thanking him for the victory and she just kept doing that until she felt in her spirit something had been accomplished and then Ruth said she would remember how the answers to those prayers would come. And I remember Ruth Ward Heflin talking about how praise, she saw answer, major answers to prayers connected to praise, just praising the Lord. And I think about in First or Second Chronicles 20, I don't remember the exact reference, but 
I remember that I believe it was King Jehoshaphat was scared because of the enemy. But the prophet of God told him, don't be afraid. God's going to give you victory. So what did they do? King Jehoshaphat sends the praisers in front of the military forces, in front of the IDF of that time. You ask how ridiculous? You have, um, you have military men. I can just imagine them. They've got some armament. They've got scars. They're, they're hardened warriors. They've got a fierce countenance. They have a sword. And they're, they're ready to go to war. And then you've got these guys in front of them with little tambourines. We're just giving thanks to the Lord for he is good. Just going through. And it probably looked ridiculous. But the thing was, when they topped the hill and looked down, there was just a sea of dead bodies everywhere. Because as the people began to praise the Lord, God sent confusion and defeated the enemy. These are two ways that you can really strengthen yourself in the Lord. They're biblical principles. If every day you will spend time really thanking the Lord for all of his goodness and really praising him for how awesome he is. Your mind will be so renewed. Your heart will be filled with joy. And there will be a, a strength within you. Number three, praying in the Holy Spirit. Man, every day I try my best to spend some time really praying in tongues. Jude 20 says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You're building up, you're strengthening. There's a scripture that says, he that prays in tongues is edifying yourself. Kenneth Hagin taught that that word edify was like a rechargeable battery that you plug into the wall and it recharges again. That you're recharging yourself as you pray in the Holy Spirit. And I mean to tell you, when you pray in tongues for a little while, you really start feeling some inner strength begin to rise up within you. And it is really building up your most holy faith. It's recharging you. It's strengthening you. That inner, inner man that's within you is being strengthened. And it's interesting because we're doing some fasting. And there's times I've felt, you know, a little bit weak in the flesh. But yet that inner man feels so strong. Amen? And so it's this praying in tongues is building up that inner man, strengthening that, that inner faith within you. Number four, hearing the voice of the Lord. Being led by the Spirit. So number four, we've got to hear the Lord. Second Samuel 5, 24, remember the story. David had to go and fight against the enemy and he asked the Lord and the Lord said I want you to wait until you hear the marching on the top of the trees and when you hear marching sounds going over the trees where you're at you're going to know then that the Lord has gone before you rise up and go into battle but David had to get heaven's strategy We've got to get the Lord's strategy about every single situation. When things come up, and let me say something about this. The Bible says for those that are led by the Spirit of God or sons of God. I'm going to say something here in just a moment, but let me dovetail off the scripture. Romans 8.14, it reads actually in the Greek, those that are continually led by the Spirit are sons of God, son implying maturity. 
So being continually led by the Spirit has to do with growing in our level of maturity. I believe with all my heart in seasons of fasting, we're in a time right now as a church where we're doing a corporate fast. We do it at least twice a year. We have a corporate fast for those that want to be involved. I really recommend to people to join with us. We have a, a watchman program where somebody will fast at least a meal once a week on that day. That day, my day's Monday. That day is a day that I seek the Lord, do some prayer and fasting for things in the church. Others have different days. So I believe very strongly in prayer and fasting. I believe in having times where you, you go and, and seek the Lord. But let me hear what I'm about to say balanced with what I just said. A lot of times, though, people have not cultivated a, a living, personal relationship with the Lord. They, they have not cultivated where they spend time with the Lord daily. He's speaking to them on a regular basis. They don't have that. And so when they go through difficult times, they panic. And they go into panic mode and they'll go quickly into a fast and they're trying desperately to hear something. And sometimes they don't really hear or they don't really understand what the Lord is saying. Let me just encourage you to live a life of prayer. Live a lifestyle of fasting cultivate a daily relationship where you learn to be continually led by the spirit because as you have that you can be like david when something came up this was a suddenly this hit david hard it hit him very painfully where he wept bitterly it hit him hard it hit him suddenly out of left field he wasn't expecting it but he wiped the tears from his eyes and he went alone with the Lord who he had a living relationship with. And God spoke to him. He wasn't really in panic mode because he had a cultivated relationship. He just knelt and said, what are you telling me to do now? I'm moving with you. If you develop that relationship with the Lord, I've, let me give you an example. There's even some little, little attacks that have gone, gone on here and there recently. But God had previously, a few weeks ago, given me and my wife a couple of dreams, just different things, you know, spoke to us. We already expected that something was going to come up when it did. We knew it was there. We knew what to do went through it amounted to nothing it's already over because it's a living relationship we we're trying to walk with him and hear his voice and he'll he'll prepare you if something's about to happen he'll prepare you many times okay all right number five meditating on the word now there's different little aspects to number five so 
Number one, the Bible says to meditate on the word day and night. So Psalms 1, 2, but those who delight in the law of the Lord, who meditate on his law day and night, and it goes on to say, it'll be like a tree planted by the waters, yielding fruit in season. Leaves do not wither. Whatever you do will prosper. So there is a, a meditating on the word of God. Years ago, and I actually made something for the church a while back, and some of you remember this purple sheet with the promises of God on it and all that, and we, I gave it out a long time ago. But years ago, God began to deal with my heart that I needed to, to write down some scriptures about different aspects of healing or, or deliverance or whatever, you know, prosperity, provision, etc. And I really needed to memorize those, and I needed to be meditating on them and speaking them every day. So every day for years, I, you know, maybe when I prayed in the morning and I took the Lord's Supper, I would think about those scriptures and I would speak them to the Lord. And I kept doing that over and over until they became a part of who I am. They went from just being in my head down into my spirit. When you really meditate on the word, it will go from just being head knowledge and it will become heart knowledge. It will get into your spirit and it will really produce faith. But this is not something that other people can do for anybody else. You have to do it for yourself. Many people, unfortunately, probably most Christians, wait until there's some kind of catastrophe. Then they'll dive into the Bible, they'll find a scripture, and they'll start speaking and speaking and speaking. But the problem sometimes is, is they've never got that thing in their spirit. And they're in panic mode. But if you will write down some scriptures about all the different aspects of promises that you'll need in life, really begin to meditate on them daily and speak them every day, it'll get down into your spirit and it will produce a heart faith within you. And then when something comes, you don't have to go run into the Bible and trying to be in panic mode. Now, from your belly will come a scripture and it will have faith in it. And you'll say, no, this is what God says. And there'll be something come out of you that's full of faith about the situation. But that's something only God can do in people. And they have to meditate on that word for themselves. And meditating on the word has to do with, um, I've heard the example like a, this is kind of, sort of gross but it gets the point but you know a cow will chew the cud and then it will swallow regurgitate chew the cud swallow. you have to keep meditating on it and let it get down in you meditate on it let it get down in you it's the word of the lord all right also the promises of god and personal prophecies but the bible says this we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god most people have not realized this, but the word of the Lord is not just past tense. There's a logos and a rhema. The logos word is what's written and it's in the Bible. So every week I have a thing God's put me on. I study the word every week. But the rhema is what God is speaking now. So you have to understand that God has spoken in the past, but he's speaking now. 
And just like tonight, I've heard from God to preach this sermon. So this is God speaking to all of us tonight. This is the word for now. But let me give you an example. 1 Timothy 1.18, this is under number 5. Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you will fight the good fight. So Timothy needed to write down prophecies that had been spoken over him. He needed to write down things God had revealed to him. This isn't just a story of times past. This is what God is speaking now to Timothy. And Paul's saying, what God has spoken to you, you need to begin to really wage a good warfare. You need to begin to fight over that. And some people think, erroneously think, that just because they received a prophetic word, it will just magically happen. Sometimes it will. But sometimes, let me read it again. Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you will fight a good fight. Sometimes you've got to wage war for that thing to come forth. It's the word of God. It was God speaking to you, and it was real. But sometimes you've got to have some prayer, some fasting, some warfare to press into those promises. And sometimes prophecy can be many, many years before it's actually going to happen. You know, I have something that, in a Word document that I've written years ago, I started this, but I, I went back and wrote down different, sp real significant dates and times in my life when God was doing a new season, a new thing, Maybe it was a real, I went somewhere and God really touched me or I had a, a word I felt was really from the Lord, from somebody. And I, I wrote all this down. I still have it. I add to it. But, you know, I go back every once in a while and I read over that stuff. And it brings a lot of encouragement, but it also brings a lot of sharp vision. And when God speaks to me about something and gives me a word or, or tells me, you know, whether it's a prophecy from somebody, it's legitimate, or tells me, my, you know, something to me directly, um, I take it very seriously. I document it. I begin to pray into that. All right, number six. Receive a fresh touch from the Lord. Man, all of us need this. Psalm 92, verse 10. But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. I have been, I have been anointed with fresh oil. The exalting of a horn, a horn speaks of authority and power. What David's saying here in metaphor language is that God is going to thrust you upward in authority and power on a new level that you're pushed upward because there's a fresh anointing. So all of us have been through stuff. I can tell you from pastoring, that many times I've gone through the altars and praying for people and I could just tell somebody's really been through it that week. I can feel it on them. But the Holy Spirit will come like a big old fire hose and begin to wash off all that junk. And I'll see that, I'll, I'll feel it and sense that heaviness just lift off them and there'll be a fresh anointing and they'll be revived and empowered. And man, it is like just a, 
a shot of strength from the Holy Spirit. And we need that. How many of you guys can say that you've come to church before and you experienced that? You came in heavy, but man in the altar time, something just broke for you. How many of you say that? I've, I've felt that. And so God, God will give you a fresh anointing. And that's one of the reasons, I've got a couple other points about this, but that's one of the reasons why we desperately need assembling ourselves together. Because there's a corporate anointing there's a move. God is in the local church. He's given a fivefold ministry. He's given us the local church. This is kingdom authority. And God moves in that in a way that you're not going to get just, you know, being out of church or maybe listening to the radio or the internet or live stream or whatever. There needs to be a place that's home. There needs to be a pastor over you. There needs to be a fellowship there that you're in where God can move in your life. When you're going through something, that they're going to be there for you. And it's important. We need each other. All right, number seven, the prayer of agreement, corporate faith. How many of you guys know that we each have individual faith? And then when we have somebody we can agree with, their faith and our faith are coming together. So now there's an increase of faith. The Bible says one can put a thousand to flight, but two, 10,000. I mean, you're adding a zero. It's, it's not like one can put a thousand, two can put a thousand and five. It's not like that. It's like one can put a thousand, two can put 10,000. So it's a, it's a significant increase of authority when you have two coming together. Well, how much more so when you have an entire church in agreement together. It's interesting because if you read this scripture, Matthew 18, here's 19, that says again, truly I tell you, if two on, of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done, by them, done for them by my Father in heaven. But if you read before that, this passage in Matthew 18 is dealing with difficulties, is dealing with church problems, is dealing with people the Bible says this. Jesus said, look, if your brother offends you, go to them in private. Then if they don't listen, then take some witnesses with you and try to talk to them. If they still don't listen, take it before the whole church. And if they won't listen to the whole church, then, you know, treat them like a pagan tax collector, whatever, excommunication. And, but then Jesus goes from that. You're reading that. And then he goes right into this. He says, but... If two of you will agree on earth as touching anything, it'll be done. And then he goes on to say, and whatever you bind will be bound. So let me paraphrase what I sincerely believe Jesus is trying to say through Matthew 18. Is that okay? Here's what I believe Jesus is trying to say. All right, everybody, listen up. There's going to be times where there's going to be conflict. But I want you to understand how to handle the conflict. Go to the person in private and take witnesses and all that. But I'm trying to show you something that you need to understand that usually there are demonic spirits that are behind the conflict. And if two of you will begin to agree in prayer about the situation, and if you will begin to bind the spirit behind it, it's going to be resolved. That's what I believe Jesus is trying to tell us. 
but the prayer of agreement. I've learned that when I pray, you know, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We know that. But when I can agree with my wife and we really agree together, it increases the authority. And it's an interesting dynamic because also in Matthew 18, as you read down through this where it says two of you agree, agree there um, in this passage, I think it's this word, but in this passage, it, there's a word called symphono in the Greek, which we get the word symphony from. The point being that to have a chord, I can't reach over and hit this right now, but to have a chord, C, for example, you hit C, E, and G. Three of them together in harmony makes a beautiful sound. It makes the C chord. But if you were to hit C and G flat and E, it would sound discorded and it would sound bad. It, it's just, it's not, you see what I'm saying? So the Lord is trying to say when we come together and agree, there really has to be harmony. You can't be fighting amongst yourselves. You can't be disunified and then come together and say, well, we're going to go before the Lord and pray about this. And that can be a hindrance. Is anybody following me? But if you'll really harmonize together, and it's interesting because, especially with a husband and wife, the Bible shows us that God's original plan, he put Adam on the earth and then gave him Eve as a helpmate so that together they would have dominion on the earth. There's something about a husband and a wife in unity having dominion on the earth. When we really pray and take authority, it is a powerful thing. So when you're going through something difficult, you need to have somebody that can be a prayer partner that's a real man or woman of God, not somebody that went out drinking last weekend, not somebody that's got a foul mouth, not somebody that's a little gossip, little devil. Those are not your friend about this situation. You need a real man, a real woman of God. If I'm ever going through something, Cindy, don't you send me somebody that's got to go pray and repent for 30 minutes before they come in and pray for me. Okay, I want a real man of God or a woman of God that lives a life. Amen? All right, so there's a power in agreeing with somebody. When you're going through some, David didn't want to get caught up in all the gossip and all the, the fighting and all the garbage. He was above that. He went to a Beathard priest. Okay, he went to a man of God and said, bring me an ephod. And then he sought the Lord. All right, the next one is number eight, the awesome power of testimony. There's something about remembering what the Lord has done for you. Psalm 77, 11, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. How many of you guys have a catalog somewhere of things that God has done for you? If you really were to think about it and you were to make a list, you would have a pretty extensive list of different prayer requests that God has answered down through the years miracles things that god met your need god healed you god did this god did that there's something about having a list of things that god has done in your past that whenever you're going through a difficult time just like david remembered the lion and the bear that you can go back to the testimonies of what has happened in your past and it will encourage you in your present we need that David said, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember the wonders of old. And we think about what God has done for us, the miracles, 
the healings. You know, sometimes I go back and think about the, the healings, the deliverances, the moves of God that I've seen in the past and seen how God's touched people. And it, it, what does it do? It encourages you, but it strengthens your faith to expect it now and believe for greater. Also, there's something about the power of testimony. Don't ever forget this. No matter what your testimony is, the Bible says in Revelation that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. There is an anointing and a power in your testimony. Even some people say, well, my testimony may not be as radical as, as you know, for example, my wife's testimony is pretty radical. But it doesn't matter. Your testimony has power. And when you begin to talk about what God saved you out of and what he's done for you, there is something about that that is awesome, powerful. And now God visited your life with revival. And when you share these things, there's something about these stories too. Remember to always share the revival stories with your spouse and with your children. Share them because there will be something that happens in them that only those stories can do. It stirs something in them to believe in an awesome God a mighty God, a God who's a miraculous God, and a God who answers prayers. Share the stories. You know, I think about nowadays that many times ministers will go to Bible school, and this isn't anybody's, I want you to think about this. You got this guy who just feels a genuine call. So he goes to Bible school because he feels like this is what he's supposed to do. He begins to learn systematic theology where they teach him about this, and then this, and then this. Uh, you know, unfortunately, some of that is just flat wrong. Like, God, don't heal any more stuff like that. But he learns this, that, and the other. He learns history. He learns, you know, different things about the Bible. And then he gets thrust into the reality of ministry. Now he's got to pray for a sick person. Now there's a message in tongues that needs an interpretation. Now there's a demon that manifests. He's got to cast out a demon. Now there's weird spiritual warfare going on. And none, none of the Bible school prepared them for any of this whatsoever. It's not really their, it's not their fault. They were unprepared. Boot camp was just not enough in this situation. And so now they feel inadequate. They're afraid. They don't know what to do. You know, if we would get back to a biblical model, Jesus didn't sit, sit everybody in a classroom and get up on some kind of chalkboard and just tell them about stuff alone. He said, hey, guys, come on, let me show you something. And he, in front of them, cast out demons, prayed for the sick, operated in the power of God. And, you know, that stirs up something. And when we, when we set by example, but also when we share the stories of what we've seen and what we've actually experienced, it really stirs up a faith in people to believe God for something awesome. So the power of testimony. Number nine, be careful who you hang with, especially when you're weak. But also, God's called us to be a strength to others. I understand that. But be careful who you're with. David did not get caught up with all the, the fighting around him. All of them wanted to stone David. They probably were fighting amongst themselves. And David said, I'm out of here. And he goes over to get to Abiathar the priest and says, bring me an ephod. I'm going to go pray. I'm sure even though it doesn't say it, I'm sure that David was like, I think you should pray too. 
And so Abiathar, I'm sure, was off praying also. But David goes off to be alone and pray. So be careful who you're hanging out with because they can drag you down. You, the last thing you need when you're going through something really difficult is a Job's wife. Anybody read the book of Job? Job's going through, I mean, just horrible stuff. And Job's wife is telling him, hey, well, you know, why don't you curse God and die? That's in the Bible, and it says that. And that's the last person that you need in your life at that moment. You need somebody that's going to be a strength to you. But unfortunately, there's people out there that, that will speak doubt. Here you are trying to believe God for something, and they're speaking doubt. Here you are trying to stand in faith, and they're speaking fear. Here you are standing on the Bible saying the Bible says this and they're speaking unbelief. And they can really hinder a lot. You need to get away from those people. Just remember that even Jesus did this. Whenever he went to raise that girl from the dead, there was all these people around there and Jesus says she's just sleeping. They're all making fun of him, laughing, mocking. He said, I'll tell you what, why don't all y'all leave? Get out of here. Get, shut the door. Get them out of here. And the only people he took in there was Peter, James, and John. And he had a small group of people that had faith. See, Peter, James, and John believed Jesus could do it. They believed. And Jesus wanted to be around faith right then. People that would strengthen the faith in that room. And that girl got up, raised from the dead. I bet you when Jesus walked out holding her hand, I bet those people that mocked him felt pretty stupid. But you need to surround yourself with those type of people. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, 13, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals or good character. And let me warn you too that as Christians, we've got to be really careful. I plan on doing a series on this before the, the um, year is up this year. But we need to be really careful about the things that come out of our mouths. It always grieves me because, you know, there's going to be people out there that may be speaking against you or coming against you or hurting you or whatever. And then a lot of times Christians will become just as bad as them because they're going around now running that person down, talking about them behind their back, blah, 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 blah. And they're just as wicked as the person that they're, come, you know, upset with because they're doing the same thing. Jesus said to forgive people that have wronged you he said to bless them that curse you, to pray for them that despitefully use you, to turn your cheek. There's times when people are going to hurt you and betray you. You need to say, Lord, I choose to forgive them. I bless them to become what you want them to be. And I pray that you'll do mighty work in their life. And I bind up any, any spirit that may be trying to use them. I bless them. And Lord, I forgive them and I turn the other cheek. I'm not going to repay evil for evil. I'm going to keep a right spirit about me. And you need to just move on with God. All right. Number 10, a true intercessor will be able to see the bad for prayer purposes. Sometimes God will show you things. If you're a true intercessor, he can't trust everybody with this, but if you're a true intercessor, God will allow you to get revelation that may be negative about people, places, and ministries, or whatever, so that you can genuinely 
pray about that situation. And as we really truly begin to pray about that, God will turn the thing around. You hear what I'm saying? You know, Jesus had a couple thousand people. What he appeared to 500 people after he raised from the dead. So let's just start with 500. On the day of Pentecost, there was only 120. When he sent people out, there was only 70. When he spent intimate time, it was, there was only 12. But in the, the times where he really was selective, there was only three, Peter, James, and John. And at the end of the day, when Jesus was going to the cross, there was really only John. There was one. But my point is this, that Jesus is going to be selective down to those that can be trusted like what I just said. Not everybody can handle that type of thing. All right. But God may show you, I'm saying this because strengthen yourself in the Lord. There may be times where God is going to use you. You see the negative, but God wants you to be an intercessor about the negative and not go blabbing it to other people and not go running other people down. It really grieves me because you hear people, they, they're talking negative about other pastors, other churches. Or, I try to change the subject. I don't like to hear that garbage. And when you're hearing that stuff, you're, you are being affected by it. You're being defiled by it. But, you know, not to be somebody like that, but to be somebody that's going to pray about it. All right, number 11. And I'm going to close with these last two. Number 11, being under the right covering and then rightly discerning the body of Christ. These, these go together. So number 11, 1 Peter 5, 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. He's talking to overseers. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. In Acts 20, 28, Paul admonishes the leaders, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So God has created a system, a pattern, if you will, a, a government that's a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual government. It's not a democracy, it's a theocracy. But he's created this. Jesus is the headship. He has fivefold ministry over it. And he has local fellowships and, and people being under that covering, under that authority. And nowadays, I think about there's so many that have forsaken the house of the Lord. This has become quite a problem, actually. The sad thing is that they're not undercover. You hear what I'm saying? They have no real covering. And many times, if you look at their life, they also are battling in various areas because they're probably vulnerable for the enemy to attack. Unfortunately, it's sad. But God has called people to be shepherds, to be overseers of a flock, that there's a, a spiritual covering of protection. But they're outside that. Can you imagine there being sheep and the shepherd has got all of them together and he's got them in, in a fold and they're protected. But then you've got this sheep that goes over and, and bites the shepherd's leg and runs off into the woods in the, in the darkness of the night. Do any of you think that you're ever going to see that sheep again? He's going to be dinner for somebody out there. 
And so being under the right covering, I'm talking about strengthening yourself in the Lord. There's got to be a covering. And the last one is connected to that, rightly discerning the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. For he that eats and drinks unworthily, talking about communion, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What does it mean to not discern the Lord's body? Well, number one, discerning the Lord's body would have to do with the fact that we recognize that it was by his stripes were healed. So number one, it has to do with discerning what he did in his body for us. But also, it, there's a bigger picture than that. There are many people out there that have not rightly discerned the body. They're not connected to the local body. They're, did you all hear what I'm saying? They're not connected to the local body. They're not rightly discerning where they're supposed to be, what church they're supposed to be, and what leadership they're supposed to be under. They're not discerning that. They're not properly connected. They're not properly under authority. They're not really... And it's sad because... You, you know you can i listen to things i, I watch things I, you know all of that that's out there you know there's a lot of good stuff out there but they're not discerning and so because of that if you go on to read that scripture it says some are weak some are sickly some are dying prematurely why because they're not rightly discerning the body there's something about connecting to the local body god has put you in being under that covering and when we take communion together man it is an awesome thing it is a really powerful thing we are being uh, rightly connected to the lord and there's a flow of life and health and breakthroughs is this making sense so that's i believe are 12 things that will help people whenever they're going through difficult times so going from the bottom toward the top number one we've got to discern where we're supposed to be also we've got to be under that covering of protection we've got to have a heart of intercessors we got to be careful who we hang around we need people that will strengthen us we got to remember the wonders of the lord remember the testimonies we've got to have prayer partners that will agree with us that will strengthen our faith we need a fresh anointing from the lord we need to meditate on his word we need to hear his voice we need to pray in the spirit in the thanksgiving and praise that i went over there's a lot here a lot that i've covered but if you'll develop that relationship with the lord and begin to apply these things in your life on a daily basis i believe when difficulties come you're not going to freak out. You're not going to go into panic mode. You're going to be really rock solid and established. And God can really bring forth another testimony. Is everybody's going to go through stuff. But when you do, you want to go through it and come out the other side victorious. And have a testimony of God's goodness and grace in your life. Amen.